What's up, world? I got a question for you. What is it that makes coffee so damn good? Maybe it's that caffeine and dopamine hit you get after pounding a pot or two. Or perhaps it's that feeling of connection that you get when you sit down with another person to work on yourselves in the process of recovery. Maybe it's the fact that you can take something so bitter and turn it into something so delicious. Whatever it is, we in the recovery community love our coffee. And why not? Coffee is fuel. Coffee is love. Coffee is life. That's what makes Brainwash Coffee the perfect partner for the Other Side of Hell podcast. Not only is every flavor of Brainwash Coffee mastered and handcrafted by obsessive minds who won't stop until they've gotten it just right, but 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community to help those who may still be suffering, which makes Brainwash Coffee a no-brainer. My personal favorite is Ego Ain't Your Amigo, a nice blend of Ethiopian and Guatemalan bean with a hint of citrus, dried fruit, and caramel flavor makes it a delicious blend for any time of day. Right now, you can go to brainwashedcoffeeco.com and use promo code OTHERSIDE for 20% off your coffee purchase. Brainwashed Coffee, clean your bean. We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. Hey, what's up, everybody? I am Cameron. And I'm Willie. And you are now on the Other Side of Hail podcast. 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 Welcome back. Yeah, man. How you doing? So good. How you feeling? So good. Good. Yeah. You don't have anything you need to to talk to yourself about? Uh it seems like it seems like daily there's some stuff that I need to forgive myself for, but you know, whatever. I work on it. How's like, today today's feeling? This is always so far today so good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well one day at a time. One day know? at a time. That's what they say. Yeah. It's good to be back here with you. Always. It's good to be Always. back here with everybody. Glad to be here for another episode of Save, uh, of, uh, of the Other Side of Hell. I, I think I was going to say Save by the Bell. I think you were too. Yeah, it's messed up. I it's forgive not. you. Though. I forgive you. I actually, my childhood. Yeah, but I have, I'll forgive myself. Yeah. In case anybody hasn't figured it out yet, what we're talking about on today's episode is. Self forgiveness, which we laugh about it, because sometimes we have it fun. It gets on this dicey, show, yeah, fuck, and it's sometimes it's tough, and find find yourself in situations you never expected yourself to be in in sobriety, right? Like, yeah, early early on, I thought sobriety was going to be so much different than it is. Yeah, well, did you ever think it was possible? Uh, not not in the depths of my, not in the throes of my disease, I did I think sobriety was possible and not at the end at the jumping off point. I fucking knew that sobriety was not possible. Death yeah. would come before sobriety. Yeah. Well, and I certainly, I certainly didn't think that it could be this good. Yeah. Yeah. How good is it? It's pretty good today. Yeah. Yeah. Today's a good day. Yeah. It's been a good day. Well, um, I wanted to talk about this. We we got a great war story from uh, from Charlie. Charlie, 
um, who who has great delivery. <laughs> went through some shit. Yeah, definitely went through some shit. Uh, uh, really just uh, grew up in the South. I, I could listen to him talk all day. Yeah. And, uh, and just... He talked a lot about his path and his journey in recovery, and and one of the biggest things that he had to do is learn how to forgive himself. Yeah, and you know, and I hear that said, and I I feel like it gets talked about a lot. Um, you know, when we when we talk about making amends and things like this, like the biggest amends we have to make are to ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and and why do you think that is? Like, why why do you think? we were even having this topic of, of self-forgiveness. Is it just because we kick the shit out of ourselves? Like what, what are your thoughts on that? I can't move forward. Like I, you know, and I've seen it in other people too. Like if you don't forgive, whether it's yourself or, or another situation, like you don't move forward. It's the greatest time machine in the world because I remember prior to working the steps and, and moving through the process of, of the amends in the 12 steps, you know, step nine, step eight and step nine, you know, I could go back to a situation and it's just emotionally like I'm fucking like it just happened. Right. And, you know, I could go back to a painful situation. And I could smell the room. I could feel the intensity in the air. I could relive the emotions in, in such detail that it's like it just fucking happened, man. And, yeah. and I wasn't moving forward. You know, there was a lot of wasted potential inside that inability to forgive. And that's why it's such a such an important thing to do is to, to let that shit go. And then when it's directed itself, like, then, then there's self-harm involved with it also. Yeah. Well, and it's because, I mean, the, the likely the likely thing that I, I just turn to immediately is like, how can I forgive somebody else if I can't forgive myself? Like if I'm, because the things that I'm holding against myself, are they things that I would forgive somebody else for? <laughs> yeah, always. Yeah. I mean, really, you know, so like, why do I have this morbid self-reflection? Why do I have this tendency to want to look backwards and just hate myself for yeah. it? And, and it's a part of the disease, right? Right. It's yeah. a, it's a part of the ism today. It's sort of yeah. how it manifests itself in my life today. Because if I can feel just bad enough about myself, maybe, maybe I'll take maybe, a drink. Maybe a drink will help. Yeah, maybe something something will help. So yeah. it is crucial. It is important, and it is it is one of those things that I personally don't think that I ever stop figuring out. Like yeah. sometimes I think I will have, you know forgiven myself for something. In in my case, like I had, I had a relapse after 18 months that wasn't, it wasn't my drug of choice. It wasn't um, alcohol. And it sort of came out of nowhere. It was really only like a one day event. And, and I, I know the story, but, but what happened? Yeah. Okay. Well, so I, I, I was on Adderall for, for a large chunk of my life. And, And I was on Adderall in recovery and for ADD as, as prescribed. And I never abused it. I always just took it as prescribed. Yeah, um, you're one of those anomalies that... Yeah, well, you, I never... You never did abuse it. Right. And I, I didn't even like it. I didn't like that I had to take it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just knew that I had a job at the time that I absolutely hated. And I knew that if I didn't take it and, and went to work, that I would leave work. That's if I made it at all. Because right. I just couldn't stand being there. And, you know, it it sort of gave me the ability just to sit there and concentrate on my job and just do what I need to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, uh, I went back to school because I was trying to get out of that job. 
And um, when I was in school, I had um, so one of the things that I did in sobriety is I started taking all my medication as prescribed. Like right. when I when I you know because I'm on depression medication as well. And so I would take all these things the way that the doctor was actually telling me to do them. Um, and that included my ADD medicine because prior to, I would take it in the morning and I wouldn't take it on the weekends just cause I didn't, I didn't like it, you know? Mm. So then I started taking it as prescribed, which was like, I don't know, 10 milligrams in the morning and 10 milligrams in, in the afternoon or 10 milligrams. I think it was like six hours later or whatever the case was. And, uh, and so I would would take that medicine regularly. And then when I was in school, I had a lot of moments where, you know, I had, I was in school full time and working full time. I had specific assignments that were due, um, for finals and it would require me to like be up all night. Right. So what, what I, what I found myself doing was I would take the Adderall as prescribed, which was one pill every such amount of hours. And so because I was still awake during those hours, I would just continue to take it. Mm -hmm. And what happened was there was just one instance, and I think I was 16 months sober at this point. There was one instance where I must have taken two doses, like too close to each other or something, right? But I just noticed that I was actually starting to feel the effects of the Adderall, which I'd never, ever felt before in my life. Um, and I was just like, oh, that's... That's kind of scary because for me, like to have any mind altering anything in sobriety is kind of a strange sensation. Um, and so like I was honest with everybody. Uh, I was still in a counseling group at that time, like an after an aftercare program for the treatment program that I was with. Um, and I told those guys and I told my sponsor and everybody just sort of, you know, said, well, what was your motive? Your motive wasn't to get high, you know. And so I was like, okay, like, well, it sounds like it's, you know, like it's probably okay. Like don't do it again, obviously. But then what I found was I was like looking for these instances where I had to pull an all nighter again, mm -hmm. you know? And, and then I just had one instance where I was like, well, what I had decided was I just needed to come off of it. It didn't matter because I was trying to quit that job anyways. And so it was like, I need to come off of it and, and I'm going to quit this job anyways and I'll just deal with it. However it works out, you know, like let the chips fall where they will. And for some reason, like me sort of putting that idea in my head that I was going to come off of it must've been like, but then what? Right. Right. So I had one last prescription with it. And I had one day where I just, I'm, I think out of 30 pills, I took like 10, you know, and, and then I flushed the rest down the toilet and was like, I'm done with it forever. And, um, and I, I eventually, you know, like I, I wasn't sure what to call that. Cause it was like, it wasn't my drug of choice. It wasn't, it wasn't alcohol. And, um, I really struggled for a long time to like sort of identify, you know, like, well, I don't want to call it a relapse because that 18 months was just so precious to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was just worried that I was, you know, if I called it a relapse, then I would actually go out and do all the things, you know, all the alcohol and all the, all the, um, opioids in my, in my case, you know, that I wanted to do. And, um, and that didn't happen, you know, and I eventually like, came to the conclusion, like, yes, it's a relapse. Like I started my time over, um, which was, which was difficult for me. Um, mm -hmm. and, 
And I really thought that I had, I don't even think I realized that I needed to forgive myself for it till a ways down the road, right. till, I, till I saw that it was still affecting me. Like a couple I, years, right? Yeah. Like I didn't even count time for, I didn't, I mean, I reset my time, but I wasn't like, okay, now I'm at 30 days. Like now I'm at 60. Like I didn't even count time until I think I got to about like nine months. And then I was like, okay, it's been nine months. Yeah. You know? Um, and, uh, and yeah, it took me a long time. Like I remember I, I talked to you about yeah. it like quite a bit and I was like, dude, I don't think I've ever like just gotten over that. Like, I still think I'm living in the shame of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, I know I need to forgive myself for it. So like one thing that I did was like, I addressed it every day, like in my morning routine, I would really like stop and think about it and just really try and like move past it and, and, you know, identify it and, and and say, like, I, I acknowledge that this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in the past. And today I'm not that person anymore. Yeah. And, and just try my best to move forward without it. Because I recognize that if I'm holding on to it, then I'm not going to move forward. Like, I just felt stagnant for, you know, however long afterwards. Yeah. And I, I feel like there's still moments now where... For the most part, I feel like I've forgiven myself for it, but I still have instances where I'm like, how I, have I forgiven myself for it? And I kind of think that that's how self-forgiveness can be. Like I can have moments where it definitely feels like yeah. I've moved past it, but then I have other moments where it's like, for whatever reason, you know, it still, it still bothers me. Yeah. Do you have and, anything and like well, that? And, and, and the word regret, right? Like, yeah. like do I... Do I regret that? Because I I would have, fuck, I would I would have six and a half years or seven years right, right now, you know, or or you know if, if I wouldn't have reused when I got out of treatment, you know, I'd have almost twenty years right now from well, the first it, time. It's funny that you say that because Cole, who who comes on our show, he was on our show just a couple of weeks ago. He and I, like, I had like my sobriety date was like one month ahead of his. Oh yeah. So every time that he celebrates his sobriety date. I go, that's how much time I would have had yeah. had I not had that moment. So you, you, we roll that mistake yeah. up and we just fucking beat right, ourselves right. to death with it. Well, and, and that's what I mean is like sometimes I think I've forgiven myself for it, but yeah. then I have those instances where I get to sort of hate myself for it all over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you know, so leading up to self-forgiveness, like, like, like you said, it's a process, but for me, you know, it was an accumulation of accumulation, a culmination, a combination. Oh, I like that word. (laughs) Of everything that I had been my entire life up to that certain point. Right. Mm. And so I used to, I used to say this thing quite often and it, and it put me in a position to, to accept the, the struggles that I was having in my life. And it was, it was this, this, this was my quote for a long time. I'm still paying for the last time I got high. Hmm. Right. And so whenever there would be like some karmic debt or something would happen and I could chalk it up to karmic debt, like when my truck got stolen, my truck got stolen and all my fucking tools in it got stolen and they took my truck. And this was in sobriety a couple of years ago, but they took my truck, went and jumped it through some bushes, fucking left it abandoned and, you know, up north an hour away. I had to go fucking pay for it to get it out of impound. And I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm not above that shit. I am that shit. I'm just right. not that shit today. Right. And so I would, you know, or, or would have hardships or whatever. I'd be like, you know, 
that was me. Like, who am I to get mad about that? You know? And so like, I'm still paying for the last time I got high or, and then being ready for like the warrant to come up that I forgot that I don't know is out there. Right. Like, well, there's crimes that I committed that I didn't get caught for. Right. That I still committed that may come up, you know? And, uh, what ended up happening because of that statement, which is, you know, it's true in its own right. Right. Like, like I have to be willing to pay for my old life. Um, but what ended up happening and I didn't realize that this was happening is that I lived in this constant state of fear. I lived in this constant state of, uh, you know, a sense of impending doom all the time. And so I was sharing about it and I said that to a person that, that heard me say that. And he said, well, have you ever considered like, maybe you've paid your, your debt? Mm. You know, you're like, you're like nine years sober, you're in sobriety, you, you, you work a program, you know, you're a great father, you have the podcast, you know, you own your own company, you're helping people out, you're being of service, you're being honest, you're, you're doing all these things. Like, what if you've paid off your past life yeah. with the, your new way of living? And it was a new concept to me because I think that that debt is something that needs to be paid. Right. And so, um, you know, spiritual debt, financial debt, emotional debt, those are all real things that lead up to me being able to forgive myself. Like if I'm going to forgive myself, I have to do the work to, to put me in a position to forgive myself. Like I can't, um, I can't forgive myself if I'm still in that same behavior. Like it wouldn't work. I just don't think it would work. And so having that statement come at me, put me in this spot where I was like, fuck, what if, what if I have paid for my past? Mm -hmm. Right. And it, and it gave me this example, gave me, it dawned on me, like, like how far past my car payment do I continue to pay on my car? (laughs) Right. So if I'm, if I'm paying off a car and I get the title, I'm not going to give the bank another payment. Right. Right. And it's kind of the same way with self-forgiveness. Right. And it's the same, same way with that, that energy going into past behaviors. Right. So if I've done something in the past and I've made amends for that thing, I've done the work to get past that thing. I've stopped doing the behavior. Every time I go back to it emotionally, I'm making a payment on a car that I have the title for. Right. It's just wasted. Why don't I put that towards something else? Now, it takes some work to get there, obviously, but it's a, it's a great analogy that works for me to remind me that, yeah, I I was the guy that broke into garages and cars and I'm the guy that stole stuff from stores and people. I'm the guy that sold drugs and introduced people to drugs for the first time. I'm the guy that skipped out on loans and, and leases and I'm the guy that disappeared and went to jail and committed these crimes. I'm not that guy today and I don't behave as that guy today. So I don't need to beat myself up for my past because I didn't know what I know now. Mm -hmm. You know, I was acting out of a state of survival in order to to maintain my drug addiction. Right. Right. And I'm not there today. However, if I decide that, you know, taking a drink is way better than this way of life Mm -hmm. and I'm going to go fucking become that person again then I'm going to need to do work again to get out of that or I'm going to die in the disease of addiction. Those are the only two choices I have. And Mm so, you know, just looking at that stuff logically and realizing that, that there's some stuff that's been paid and that's okay. 
you know, yeah. I want to keep beating myself up. Make, I want to make sure. Right. Oh, I just want to make sure that I've definitely sufficiently paid <laughs> for all the pain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and on that note, like who, who decides how many payments you have to make? You know I what I mean? Know. Like, I think that we, and maybe that's, well, it's, it's generally why, like, you know, in, in Alcoholics Anonymous anyway, is like you go through step nine with a sponsor, mm-hmm. right? Like, because at some point we have to decide like, what is our part and what, what is it going to take to make our amends in that instance, uh-huh. you know? And, and to your, to your end, like what, when do we decide or what do we decide, you know, we're going to do in order to make up for that? You know, we're going to live a certain way. We're going to make those living amends by living the way that we do now. So do we just decide at that point that we're done making those amends? Like we're, and we just need to forgive. I think for me, like the answer lies in when it becomes clear and evident that it is no longer serving us to hold on to that resentment towards ourselves. And it's like, okay, I've paid my karmic debt because, because for me to hold on to it now is now having a negative impact. Well, yeah. And so I got to let go of it. Yeah. Know? I'm not, I'm not, it's not making me a better person. Right. I'm not moving towards a better way of life by doing this. It's taking away yeah, from now the life that I've created. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's, now it's taking from, and so it's time for me to just yeah accept yeah. and move forward. It's a great way to look at it. Yeah. Fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is. I'm banging my head against the wall over it, but, but I need other people all the time. Like all the time I need other people like pointing that stuff out for me. Well, and that, and that's what I was going to say is it feels like that's, that's just another reason why we, we, we can't do this stuff alone. Yeah. Like we can't do it by ourselves. Like, because we will continue to, to beat ourselves up over shit that we, we don't need to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. We really don't, you know? And, and I'm, you know, like I'm guilty of it. I'm certainly guilty of it, but I have people like you and other people that I talk to all the time that are like, dude, why don't you, why don't you look at yourself the way your wife looks at you? Like, <laughs> you know, like, how do I do that? Yeah, exactly. Like, or the way that like your sponsees look at you. And, 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 and ask yourself, like, if you feel like you should be beating yourself up for that yeah. and go, oh. and, and, and you have to like, that's, you know, to that point, like, like, let me take off on that for a minute. Like, it's so important that you do that. Mm-hmm. It's so important that I do that because from the inside looking out, it's so hard for me to see any progress yeah. in the area of my life. Right. Like, like from, from the perspective that I have. Um, it's really difficult for me to see all the work that I've done for me to see the accomplishments that I've had for me to see the people that I've helped for me to see any of that stuff because I'm living this life, right? Like it's, it's, it's all in motion all the time for me. And so, um, I have to stop, step back and take a look at it from an outside perspective and, and, and measure backwards from where I was at to where I'm at now and really consider, you know, how does my wife look at me? Right. Mm-hmm. right? And why does she look mm-hmm. at me that way? You know, she wouldn't be with me if I wasn't worth being with right. in her eyes. Right. I wouldn't get the support from the people that, that I get if it, if it wasn't genuine, you mm-hmm. know? And so, um, sometimes I have to take that at face value, right? Because I have this, 
innate negative self image of myself that I've carried that I've carried with me my whole life. Yeah. Long you before. Know, and where it comes from, it doesn't matter. Like mm-hmm. I know where it comes from. I understand where it comes from, from the work. But I have it. You mm-hmm. know? And so I have to step back and go like, how does Cameron see me? Yeah. You know, how does Cameron view me as a man? You know, and, and is that in a line with the way that I'm treating myself? You know, and, and if it's not, then I probably need to take a look at where that's coming from. Like, is there a real behavior that I'm engaged in that I need to stop or forgive myself for, or, you know, ask help in, you know, mm-hmm. that I need to work on is, is there something really going on or am I just mentally fucking myself? That, do I have that mind masturbation going on yeah. that the fucking disease inside of me just loves to just take me to the circus on. <laughs> well, yeah, because it will, it will totally just take that, take whatever little bit is there and run with it. Like, yeah. I mean, I, if, if I give it an inch, it will take a mile Yeah, you know, and it will really just go to town on any sort of bad thought or notion that I have, unless I'm spiritually fit. And that comes through in the way that I interact with others, the service that I am to others, the more I do for myself, like in the way of um, health and fitness and, and, and being open and honest and vulnerable and available and, and open to others and, and all this stuff, like that's the stuff that I have to, and, and moving past moments of regret, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and forgiving myself, like all that stuff compounds to a place where I'm able to grow spiritually and, and hear all the positive things that, that I have in my life and, and really just accept that, okay, I have made progress. Like I am, you know, a good person. Like I do have this going for me and that going for me and I am loved, you know, and, and man, it's, it's, it's strange to me sometimes how hard that can be to swallow. And, and it's unfortunate that for me, sometimes that's so much of a process, but I do the process, right? Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter that it's unfortunate. It doesn't matter that that's, you know, the way that my mind works for whatever reason, like what matters is that I accept that and continue to deal with it. However, I need to deal with it to, to get to a point where I can hear that and take it in and really accept it and say, wow, I actually am all these positive things. Yeah. And I'm not all the negative things that I think all the time. Yeah. And you know, all the shit in my past is exactly that. It's in my past. It's, it's, it's what was happening at the time and it's not who I am today. Yeah. And it's, it, it takes work. It does. It does. And, and, and it's important to remember, Cameron, you're, you're not the person that you were back then, right? This, the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, 12 steps, is such a great tool mm-hmm. that leads up to ultimate self-forgiveness, right? Because at the end of it all, like, like after you do, you, you know, after, after you stop trying to control your own life and you ask for help, right? Like you surrender to this process, the process of recovery, mm. right? We're recovering. Yeah. In, in early sobriety, we're, we're recovering. We're recovering from alcoholism. We're recovering from a life of abuse, self-harm, danger, all those things. Like, like we're recovering from that. We're in a state of healing from all that stuff. And, and as we heal a little bit from one thing, you know, 
that starts feeling a little bit better, we notice another wound and we can address that other wound. And as we address those wounds, the deeper and deeper we go, like we end up getting into like our resentment inventory and we're able to see how holding on to these resentments is really a, uh, dangerous for us. Yeah. Right? The big book says that it's like the number one offender. It kills more alcoholics than anything else. So like holding on to that does that thing that I was talking about earlier where it puts us in a time machine and puts us back in that situation. Yeah. All of a sudden we're fucking pissed off and justified and we go out and we use over that person or whatever the fuck the case is. We look at our fears. We look at, you know, our sexual conduct, which, which is a big one for me. Like I, there was a lot of work that I had to do in my sexual conduct in order to forgive myself. There was a lot, not just putting pen to paper. It was practicing action. Like, mm-hmm. like how am I going to handle this situation? How am I going to behave in a situation where there's sexual opportunity there? And I also have a commitment with another person, right? Where in, in the past, like having sexual activity was very important to validating me as a person, you know, showing me that I'm worth some, somebody wants me. Yeah. That proves that I'm worth something. Right. 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 And, and then having the shame that comes along with that going, okay, now I'm shameful and, and like moving past the four step, you know, and then sharing all that stuff with another person and finding that as I shared that stuff, it was well received by another sick individual that went through a lot of the same stuff that was able to find self-forgiveness and give me feedback on those things. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I understand how you feel. This too will pass. This is how I know. Let me ex- share my experience with you in that same area. And, and then, you know, moving on and letting those things go like step six and seven, um, where, where we let it go, where we're entirely ready to have these things removed, where we let these things go and move into our amends list. And then the action of our amends list and being willing to make those amends wherever possible. And it seems like as I've went through my own making amends process, Mm -hmm. as I've admitted, right? Like, like you'd be surprised what a little confession will do as I've admitted my mistakes to other people it alleviates the grief inside of myself. Sure. Sure. Right. Cleaning up my own side of the street helps me forgive. I come back and, and like, like we're talking about measuring backwards. So if you're sweeping the street and you're walking forward and all you see is this giant mess and you're cleaning it up as you go, when you turn around and see a clean street, it's very revealing for right. you. Right. Mm-hmm. If you can use that analogy, you can look back and go like, fuck, the streets cleaned up. It feels completely different here. Mm-hmm. And I remember when it was dirty. I remember when it was a mess and I like the way this feels better. And then as trash blows in, right, we can pick it up faster. It's not a giant mess everywhere. We're not in this, this huge, you know, fucking up to our neck and garbage trying to clean it up a piece at a time. It's coming in slowly and we're able to clean it up quicker and our streets able to stay clean. And, and, this self-forgiveness is, is less and less needed because we're not in that behavior that creates self-harm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So and, and this, the steps were great mm-hmm. for me. Like that's, that's ultimately what led me up to a process of being able to forgive myself for all the things that I've been able to forgive myself for. And there's stuff that I know I used to be, I, I fucking, I can't prove it cause I don't remember, but there's stuff I know that I fucking hated myself for that I've completely forgotten cause I've completely let it go. Mm. There gotta be. Yeah. There's gotta be some shit that just 
fucking drove me into the wall. And now it's completely gone. Yeah. Gotta be. Well, and I think that it's, it's funny that you say that because like the disease doesn't need a reason to self hate, you know, like I, I, uh, you know what I mean? Like I'll make something up. Like I, I, I too am that same way where I've definitely, I definitely had a lot of stuff that I would, you know, kick the shit out of myself for that. I dare say I have forgotten about now, you know, but I will find new reasons to hate myself, you know, Uh that, that most of the time may not even be real. You know, like, and that's, that's the disease manifesting itself and it's in my life today. Yeah. It's trying. Like, like, yeah. What about, what about what that guy said? You know what I mean? What about when you masturbated when you were 13? Yeah. You remember, (laughs) you remember when they told you not to do that and you did it anyways? Yeah. Why don't you hate yourself for that for a minute? Remember when you lost your keys that one time? (laughs) You know, like anything, anything, you know, like it just, it just all becomes a reason to like hate myself. Um, but but yeah, man, I really appreciate what you were saying. And one thing that I was sort of thinking as you were, as you were talking about that is because my recovery, like, well, I think I've gotten to a point too, because I, it's no, it's no secret that you know, we talk about food a lot on this show and the struggle that we eat alcoholically. Yeah, now. we, we eat alcoholically. We put, we put down the bottle, we picked up the fork. Right. And, and so this is a new issue. I mean, not new to us, but newer than alcohol and, mm-hmm. and, and drugs. And, and, uh, and I always want to discredit my sobriety because of the struggle that I have with food. So like, I'm really quick to, to kick the shit out of myself for a binge to the point where, you know, like somebody will ask me a question about sobriety and I just assume that I don't know the answer because I can't get this food thing figured out. Right. You know what I mean? I do. And so I've really had to, like the last little bit, I've had to separate my sobriety from my recovery. It's uh-huh. like, okay, listen, I am sober and I do know things about sobriety. Yeah. And I do know things, you know, about um, staying sober from drugs and alcohol. And I do know things about a 12 step program. And I do know a lot about those things so much that I've managed to stay sober up until this point. Yeah. For some years, for some years now. Yeah. Quality sobriety. Yeah. Yeah. But like at the same time, like my recovery sometimes doesn't feel as strong as my sobriety because I lump in my recovery, just my overall emotional sobriety. Okay. And so for me, like I'm, I'm, I'm making it a point these days to separate those two things so that I can take a, uh, uh, the right perspective on what exactly I'm dealing with. Like, yeah, I like that, you know, I'm, I can't look at my sobriety with those same eyes that I look at my recovery with. I am mm-hmm. successful in sobriety for sure. And recovery, I'm working at it one day at a time, big time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. putting some honest effort into it. You know, and talking to people and, and really like trying to work through these issues, like not alone, like I'm doing what I can, you know, like I'm learning new shit every day and I'm trying my best to be as vulnerable as I can. But, you know, I'm not going to lie. It's a struggle for me. Yeah. Well, well, you don't need like just a little bit of alcohol every day. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's not like you're going to die if if you don't have some alcohol or, or Mm -hmm. some drugs, right? Like, like those things can be eliminated completely. 
the 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 thing that can't be is some type of nutrition right right and mm-hmm. so the 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 struggle is and and you know i i agree with you on i i like the way that you're putting the the two they run they run side by side they run together as far as spirituality and and stuff goes but you do know drug and alcohol sobriety you right know, you know a 12-step program and you know how to the the you know how to get sober and stay sober for like what, what Charlie talked about, like long-term sobriety, which is five years or more is the way he put it in his story. And, and so like having that struggle and I, I totally agree with you because I'll set up goals around the, okay. So, so let me tell you the reason that I even work on my food at all is that it causes me emotional and spiritual discontent. Yeah. When I go against anything that, uh, so, so I have rules and I have beliefs structured around food, the stuff that I put in my body and I have rules and I have things around the, the stuff that I put into my brain, mm-hmm. you know? And so when I, when I fall short of my expectation of that, it creates a negative self image. Like all of a sudden I'm, right. I'm weak. Yeah. <clears throat> right. And when I get into that state where I believe that I'm weak, then now I'm worthless, you know, because of my opinion about weakness, I'm worthless. If I'm worthless, I'm unworthy of love. If I'm unworthy of love, I'm going to end up alone. If I'm going to end up alone, like what's life all about? Like nobody's going to want me. And I go down that fucking rabbit mm-hmm. hole all of a sudden. And, and now I'm in a complete space of self-pity and, and isolation and, all those things. And so I like, I like that. Like I, I too have to sometimes separate the two and maybe, maybe I do that on a, on an unconscious level yeah. because, uh, not too long ago I had to tell myself before the podcast, like, cause I was feeling that, like I was falling short of my, my food expectations. I, I, I didn't feel like I deserved to be on the podcast. Right. I, I felt like, fuck, I don't, I just don't, I don't have anything to share. I'm not in an emotional state. I'm not spiritual. Like I'm struggling with the food. So therefore I don't have anything to say about sobriety. And that's fucking not true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a lie. It's the dis-ease trying to keep me from my ultimate purpose of being able to help other people. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. <clears throat> the dis-ease keeping me from my ultimate purpose to help other people. And that's, I mean, and that's the thing is like, that's, that continues to work, you know, like even even if I'm not forgiving myself, like sometimes helping somebody else will at least get me detached enough from that self-pity because mm-hmm. a lot of times that's exactly what it is. Like I'm feeling so bad about myself for what I did in this instance, you know, um, that I can't, I can't forgive. I can't move past, you mm-hmm. know, I've, I've, I've attached myself to this, this pity, you know, yeah. um, that, that helping other people is always, always, you know, a great solution to, to getting out of self long enough to hopefully recognize that that feeling, that notion, those character defects are not serving me in any sort of capacity that that is going to move me forward Mm -hmm. or help to lift me up or, or keep me growing. And that's just the thing is like when I, when I fail to forgive myself for those instances, then I, it stunts my growth. Yeah. You know, and that's why we have this process, like a 12 step process where we get to look at that stuff every day and say, you know, where have I fallen short? Mm 
Yeah. What have I done today? Like, you know, what were my defects of character? What good things have I done today? Like, you know, and, and have that honest reflection of each day so that I can work on those things every day so that they're not building up. They're not compounding. I'm not, you know, sitting on it and I'm not, I'm not, you know, letting those thoughts grow and build until, you know, they get to the point where, yeah, like I said, like a drink sounds good. Yeah. Ah, scary. Yeah. (laughs) I've I've been in the, I've been in the self pity space to where a drink sounded good Mm. in sobriety. Yeah. You know, and that's when the food isn't working. Yeah. You know, the, no matter how many snacks I've had that day, uh, no matter how much porn I've watched that day, uh, ultimately what came around to helping was getting transparent about the way that I was feeling, which turns out to be quite normal for alcoholics. I'm feeling scared right now. I don't have any real reason to feel scared right now. Everything in my life is going really well. I have this sense of impending doom and I'm trying to, Mm. uh, change the way that that feels. And I don't understand why I'm feeling this way. And then another alcohol goes, yeah, I get that. Now I get that. Let's, let's get through today. Mm-hmm. Let's take it one day at a time. You're going to mm-hmm. be okay. Keep coming back. Um, thank you for sharing with me. I needed that. Yeah. And, and then I'm like, fuck you, you, you needed yeah. that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I needed this conversation with you. Cause you know, I suffer like that too. I was just wrapped up in my day going so well that I forgot that I feel that way most of the time or some of the time, or I felt that way yesterday and today I get to move that forward, you know, and just having, having a community and having a process and all that stuff to help me, you know, be able to forgive myself for current mistakes. Cause I feel like, I feel like, uh, the past is pretty well taken care of yeah. at this point. Yeah. You know, I really do. I feel like, uh, and, and I'm still willing to make those amends that, that have, that I may owe still. That's, that's the big thing is, is to stay willing and I'm still willing to grow in a direction that I may not expect. Right. Like I never want to be so rigid in anything that I think I know about my sobriety, my recovery or my path that I'm not willing to flow along with it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like having this belief structure that there's something that may be guiding me in a direction of purpose, you know, helps me to remember that like me staying in a negative state where I'm just beating myself up all the time makes me useless to everybody. Yeah. And, and that's not what I want to be. Like right. I want to be useful and I want a life full of, you know, whatever the experience is. I just can't go back to what doesn't fucking work. Yeah. Don't go back to what doesn't work. Yeah. Well, and we, we have enough evidence at this, at this stage of the game to recognize that it doesn't work and it, and it hasn't changed. Yeah. It's it's not going to work, you know? And, and sometimes in those moments, you know, like I have to remember that, like, cause there is, you know, like moments where, where for whatever reason, it just sounds like a good idea. And it's like, really? (laughs) It's like, what's going on that that sounds like a good idea, you know? Really? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, like I, I do, I have to stop in those moments and say, you know what, there, there's, there, I have solid evidence that that doesn't work, Yeah, you know, and, uh, and, and I should be able to bank on that evidence and move forward one thing at a time today. One, th- one thing at a time. Yeah. One thing at a time, one day at a time, mm-hmm. one time at a time. 
Lou, but you talked about usefulness, and I, I, I really appreciate that because I, I definitely have that feeling. Like without, without being able to, to, to forgive myself, I'm, I'm not useful to anybody. No. You know, like I just, I'm stuck in self. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, I really want to thank Charlie for his war story because Charlie has definitely found himself to be very useful. Yeah. Um, his story is pretty amazing. Yeah. And he has come such a long way yeah. um, within the community. Like, I don't want to give too much away, but I will say that he is now a drug and alcohol counselor. Uh-huh. Um, and, and so just know that going into this story like he he is somebody who gives back on a daily basis professionally as part of his profession yeah and uh and you know he made that choice while going through a treatment program for himself mm-hmm. and and uh and yeah i just think yeah, it's, it's, dope. it's good good story ready sure. yeah let's let's let him tell it let's let uh charlie tell you his story um without further ado here is charlie's war story My name is Charlie. I'm a drug addict. I, uh, the last time I ever put any mood altering substance into my body was October 21st, 2009. I, um, on that day, uh, just like everybody at OL, um, I, you know, when I, when I come into these situations, I want to be real clear. Like, you know, I have, I have people that, um, I have people in my life that, did a lot more crazy shit than me. I had people in my life that didn't do as much crazy shit as I did. But the, the, the thing that brought me to the chairs of AA, um, is the exact same thing that I share. Uh, I share the same thing, uh, with every other person that has a chair in the rooms of AA. And that's that, um, I reached a point in my life where I needed to change. I couldn't do it on my own. And, um, and so, and so I chose a softer and easier way of life. But so I, I essentially, I, I share that with everybody that's listening to this. If you're, if you're in recovery. Um, so, uh, I, I was pretty crazy. I, um, I was, uh, I was using substances that I had, a, uh, I was, ex- had to deal with a lot of withdrawals when I was coming off the substances that I was on. And I, I had, a um, had a pretty expensive daily habit. I, uh, I just want to also say that, um, I grew up, I'm from Mississippi and, uh, and I grew up Poe. We couldn't even afford the O and the R when I was growing up. And so my, um, my, it wasn't that my parents, uh, chose not to give me money. It's that my parents never had money to give me. And so in order to support the habit that I had, I had to, um, I had to, uh, I had to, to do things that I, I, you know, I, I had to do things that went against who I am as an individual. Um, I sold drugs. I, uh, I stole, I lied, cheated, manipulated all that shit. And, um, and so I had, I had, I had, I did this every day. And then, um, it led to eventually it led to me, uh, it led to me being homeless and I was squatting in this house out in the country and I was getting, I was getting dope from a, uh, I was getting dope from my same place in, in the city, which was about 15 or 20 minutes away. And every morning when I'm squatting in this house, I would, uh, um, I would get in my car and my car had, um, all right, y'all go inside. 
my car had uh, my car had a it had a windshield wiper that was curled up. It had a spider web windshield on it, and that was from like nodding out and hitting a mailbox one night. And then I uh, I had a dummy tire on the um, on the driver's back tire, and it had a uh, a bent rim from hitting potholes. And so I had to stop about every maybe 20 miles and get air in my tire. And so I knew all of the different places to get air that I could get air for free because I never had any money. Um, well, I, I mean, I never wanted to spend my money on air. And, uh, and so I had to stop consistently at these t- random places to get free air all the way along back into the city. And, um, and so then I would, I, would get, I would get what I needed for the day, well, the first part of the day. And then I would go sit on my dad's couch and my dad's disabled. My dad's, um, uh, he gets, he's, uh, he's schizophrenic. And so I would end up going and sitting on his couch and just hanging out with him. And then I'd go to work. I worked seven days a week. Um, I worked anywhere from eight to 15 hours a day, seven days a week. And, uh, I was homeless. I was homeless and I was unable to ever pay for my own food. I had to steal food. And, um, and so it's important to note that my dad is, uh, my dad that I was going and just kind of sitting on his couch, occasionally taking a shower. Um, he's, he was, he's sober. He's been sober for about 30 years now. So I grew up quite literally in the rooms of AA. When I tell you, like, um, I had to go like ride my bike up to the, uh, to the clubhouse to go see my dad and ask if I could spend the night with little Johnny. Right. Like I grew up in the rooms. And I also want to say that if you're from Jackson, Mississippi, and your last name Os- is Osborne, and my, my name is Charlie Osborne, if your last name is Osborne and you're from Jackson, Mississippi, you're either dead from addiction, uh, you're either in active addiction, or you're either in recovery. Um, th- that's really our only three options for being an Osborne in Mississippi. And, um, and so I grew up in that, in that environment, and, um, and my dad knew that I w- what was going on with me, and he allowed me to sit on his couch every day. So anyway... To bring it back, um, I, I'm going to work on the, the last day that I, I chose. To, uh, well, a couple of days before I, I uh, my sobriety day, I, uh, I was going to work and I, I got I got real up, and then I, um, I had to go to work, so I tried to get real down, and then try to level it out. And I ended up I was working in an open kitchen, and all that means is that I'm cooking food in the middle of a restaurant, and everybody can see me cooking food who's in the restaurant. It was a Friday night rush. And, um, and I, and I died, I died. And when I, um, when I came to, I was in the hospital and they had ended up having to pull the, um, the, the, uh, car, uh, gurney, whatever the fuck it is. They had to pull it into the restaurant they had to move tables Friday night rush, super embarrassing for the restaurant owners. And, um, and so they take me to the hospital and now again, I'm homeless. So I got like my bag, my garbage bag full of clothes sitting on top of one of the refrigerators in the, in the kitchen. And I called him up and I said, hey, listen, um, uh, my wallet and my clothes are on this refrigerator in this garbage bag. Make sure nobody gets that shit. And they were like, okay, that's fine. We'll make sure nobody gets it, but you're fired. And I was like, and I was like, oh my God, you pieces of shit. I can't believe you would do this to me. I'm, I, I'm in the hospital and you're going to fire me. Um, always the perpetual victim. It was never me. It was never my fault. I was never, uh, I was never able to hold myself accountable. It was always somebody else's shit. And, um, and so in this moment I called my dad 
And I said, Daddy, Daddy, can you believe these motherfuckers calling me? They're firing me. I'm in the hospital and they're firing me. And my dad said, uh, he said, I, I don't want you to uh, come by my house anymore. Um, I don't want you to call me. Uh, I, you can't, we can't keep doing this, this game. Um, I'm, you're cut off till you get six months clean, period. I can't do this anymore. And, uh, and I was like, you fucking son of a bitch. You're just like them, blah, 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 blah. And, um, and so I, uh, I left the hospital. I went back to, and my mom was at the hospital. My mom was like, my mom was like, Hey, listen, here's the deal. If I can get you into treatment, will you go? And I was like, yeah, sure. Whatever, mom. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking there's no fucking way she can get me into treatment because my mom has less money than me. And I got like fucking $2.83 in my name. And, um, and so she, uh, she takes me to this house. I'm all right. I go to the house, she takes me back to my car. I go to this house that I'm squatting at. And, um, and then the next morning she comes to that house that I was squatting at and she was like, all right, let's go get your fucking garbage bag full of clothes and let's go. And, um, I was like, go where she's like, let's go get you into treatment. And I was like, what are you talking about? And so, uh, so she takes me to do the intake and I do the intake. And they're like, all right, we can get you in the next day. And so I was like, how is this happening? And, um, and listen, I'm not, I'm not, listen, I, I just want to be real clear about something. If, if, if wherever you are in your spiritual journey, that's cool with me. If it's working for you, that's cool with me. But I'm going to kind of share a little bit about my spiritual journey. And so I just want you to understand, like, this is where I am. And, but if it's not where you are, then I'm super cool with that shit. But, um, so the next day, um, I, uh, my mom took me, uh, into treatment and I like met up with some people and I had one last little shebang and then I'm going into treatment, right? I go into detox. I get into treatment for 30 days for free. And I want to be real clear about something. This is God doing for me what I was completely unable to do for myself. And this was his first um, this was this first experience that I had with my higher power doing for me what I could not do for myself. And so I go into treatment and I was, I was doing so much. Um, I was doing so much when I, uh, when I was when I went into detox that, and even the first two weeks of treatment, I was doing so much that the withdrawals were really, really, really bad. And my eyes were, would shake in my uh, eye sockets and I couldn't ever really focus on anything. And it's probably because I couldn't sleep. And, um, and I was just, I was in a bad mental health place. And so, um, I, I kept telling these people, these, these, uh, these counselors, um, and the, the clinical director of the facility that I was in, I was like, what's the, what's the fucking, what's the hook? What's the catch? Like, why are you doing this for me? And they're like, no catch, man. It's just, you know, we have indigent beds at the beginning of every month. If you're homeless, you need help and you're willing we can throw you a bed. It's just the way it works. And I'm like, all right, all right. But I'm still on guard because the way that I grew up and the life I've been living, there was always going to be a catch. There was always a hook. There was nothing in the world for free. And so I'm constantly looking for that shit. And, um, and so I go for 30 days. Well, because I was so um, uh, kind of not really present mentally for that first two weeks, almost three weeks, they looked at me coming up when I was getting closer to leaving and they were like, Hey, listen, 
um, we want you to stay another 60 days. And I was like, I fucking knew it. I knew it. There it is. How much? Go ahead. How much? And they were like, no, for free. And I'm like, what? And they were like, for free. We want, we want to hook you up with another 30 day, with another 60 days. Okay, so at the time, I had nowhere to go. And my car, that was just a fucking bucket of shit, before I went in there, had somehow or another, my family had, had done some shit with it. And um, it, it didn't exist anymore. It was gone. So I didn't have a car. I didn't have a, um, I didn't have a, a place to live. I didn't have shit. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, and, and I want to be real clear about this, because in early recovery, I think sometimes we feel ashamed to say this out loud. But I, wanna, I want everybody to know, like, it's normal to feel what I'm about to say. In that first, like, 30, 45, 90 days, the only thing I wanted to do was get my habit down to a $20 a day habit. That was it. If I could just take how much I was spending and knock it down to $20 a day, I'd be fine. I'd be fine. And, um, and that, that was my goal. And I didn't have anywhere to go. And so I said, well, I'm not really there yet. So I'll do the, I'll do the 60 with y'all, right? Okay. Somewhere along the way in treatment, I was working with this cat named Nicholas Two T W, and he's still like, I, it's funny. I'm still in touch with this this therapist, and I, I still talk about like somehow or another he ended up saving my life along the way. Um, and so the thing is, I was really I had a, a really struggle with being able to forgive myself. Um, I um, I had I had introduced a lot of people to to multiple types of drugs, uh, the needle and a lot of women in my life. And the, the problem was like now I've had, at this point I've had friends die from overdoses. I've had people put in prisons. Um, I've had uh, girls who turned to prostitution to support their habits and all of these things. And so I was holding on to this as like, as like I'm personally responsible and I am unredeemable. I am beyond forgiveness. I am a piece of shit and I need to die. I need to die addicted. And so, cause I'm no good. And so I had a real hard time forgiving myself. So this guy, Nick Toos, he, um, he helped me, he helped me figure out that how to forgive myself. And we can go into the, all that shit on a whole different segment. Cause I only got 25 minutes right now. But, um, my point is at some point in that, uh, 90 days, I started thinking, okay, I can, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to just, I want to, I'm going to take this sobriety thing out for a test drive and see what the fuck's up with it. And so what happened was, uh, I was talking to Nick one day and he was like, I was like, how can I stay sober? He said, look, dude, be of service, be of service as much as you can. And, and, and you, you can't go wrong with that shit. And I was like, well, you're of service. You like you, you help people every day. I said, and, and you make, you make a paycheck doing it. I was like, I'm going to do what you do. And he, I was like, what do you, what, what's your, what's your title? And he was like, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And I said, okay, I'm going to do that. And I was like, are you hiring? And he was like, you need a degree, bro. And I was like, all right, well, where'd you go to school? And he was like, University of Southern Mississippi. I was like, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And so, um, a couple, little bit of time passed and he said, he said, Hey, listen, I'm going to hook you up with this program. It's called Voc Rehab, Voc Vocational Rehabilitation Services, Voc Rehab. He said, I'm going to hook you up with Voc Rehab, and they're going to put you in this uh, transitional living house, and it's going to be, you'll get two months of free rent. They have a van there, and they'll take you to and from work and to and from meetings, 
and they have a cafeteria in there and they're going to feed you three meals a day. And I was like, fucking sold dude for free fucking sold dude. And, um, and so I go and I do it and he said, the best thing is the best case is, uh, the best part of this is that, um, it's in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, which is where that school is. And I was like, all right, cool. So I go to this transitional living. I ended up saying, he was like, we got to stay another two weeks because they don't have a bed open. So I ended up in primary for about 115 days. Oh, it was 25 more days. So I ended up in primary for 115 days. Loved it. Wouldn't trade it for the world. And um, so then I go to this transitional living. It's called Oak Arbor. I'm in Oak Arbor. I'm doing the van and the meals. And, the, and I go to, side note. So when I was in active addiction, I had this hustle that I would uh, go into college, I would file for FAFSA, and then I would um, I would take my classes and I would withdraw. I would get a check, and then I would withdraw from just enough so that I could maintain getting a check. And I had this game plan that I would play with the, the government and get money. And I would blow that FAFSA check, which would be probably like three three to five thousand dollars. I'd blow it in like a day, like a day. And um, okay, so I'm doing that. And the problem is, I have this. Uh, this extremely large debt with various schools all over the country, three different schools to be particular, to be precise. And so I, uh, I go into USM and I said, Hey, I want to enroll. And they said, they said, you have to produce your official transcripts. And so I call up these other schools and they're like, you owe us this, you owe us this and you owe us this. And, um, and I was like, and I went back to that lady in admissions department at USM. And I said, I said, I don't have $4,800. It was 4,800 bucks. I don't have 4,800 bucks and my parents are going to fucking laugh at me if I ask them for 4,800 bucks. Like, I don't, I don't have anybody in my life to have this money. I said, I'm sorry to have wasted your time, uh, but I just wanted to let you know that that's the reason I'm not coming back with my official transcripts. She was like, listen, I'm going to do this for you, and I don't normally do this for people, but for some reason, I want to do this for you. And she said, I'm going to let you enroll in – school on your unofficial transcripts for one semester one semester and she said you're going to get a financial aid check if you take that financial aid check and you dump it on your your fines or your whatever the other schools say i owe them then you'll get your official transcripts next next semester and then she said but let me be clear if you don't show up next semester with your official transcripts it's it you wasted your semester and i was like bet and she goes and she said she said, but here's the warning. It means that you're not going to be able to spend your financial aid check on housing, books, uh, and all that shit. And what she didn't know is I've, I've been blowing that financial aid check on drugs within a day for the past 10 fucking years of my life. Like, I was like, I got that. Don't worry about that. Um, and so I did that. Okay, let, let me be clear about something. This right here is just yet another example of God, my higher power doing for me in my life what I'm unable to do for myself. And my higher power works through other people. And this right here changed my entire life. So I go to school. I go back to school and I get a bunch of prerequisites done. And I, I did what she said. I paid off my, my debts. I brought back the official transcripts next semester. I keep going and I'm killing it. And I'm killing it because I'm going to tell you something about people in recovery. We have so much energy that we use to get high, to get drunk. We have so much energy that we use when we're funneling in this daily energy into 
uh, lying, cheating, manipulating, uh, obtaining, using, recovering from using, all of the stuff that takes all this energy. When we, when we no longer put it towards that, we have all this energy to do really good shit. And if we can learn how to focus that energy on really good shit, we are unstoppable. We are the best employees. We're the best students. We're the best people you want on your fucking team, down the board, hands down. That's a fact. So, so I did that, and I, I, I did. I funneled all my energy towards school, towards progress, and I was so fucking active in recovery. I mean, not only was I working forty hours a week um, and doing school twelve hours a semester, and but I was also making, dude. If 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 I, I was making two meetings a day. But if, if not two meetings, then I damn sure was making one meeting for at least the first fucking nine months of my recovery. And, um, and so, and, you know, being, getting a sponsor, working with a sponsor, working steps, but, uh, having a home group, being of service, all that shit, I'm doing it. I'm living it. And, and, and not only that, but like, so I'm doing all this and, and the grades are going good. School's going good. And so I get into the social work program. Right. And so I, um, I, I, I work my ass off. I end up graduating with a bachelor's degree in social work. And, um, and so you remember I grew up with nothing. And so I get a bachelor's degree in social work and these, these, uh, uh, agencies like CPS, which I don't know if it's DHS here, but, or whatever it is, the, uh, baby snatchers, right. Um, which they're really not, I'm being an asshole by saying that it's a joke. It's a social worker joke. But it's like the organization that, you know, that you call if somebody's abusing your kids or some shit like that. I think it's CPS here. But um, but they're offering me a job and they're saying, dude, you can work with a bachelor's degree in social work and um, and we'll give you thirty thousand dollars a year. And I'm thinking, dude, thirty thousand dollars a year is more money than I ever thought I would fucking make in a thousand fucking lifetimes. Hell yeah, I'm going to take it. I'm fucking done. Yes, yes, I'll take it. And then the, the people that ran the social work department. We're like, dude, don't take that shit. They're like, look, get a master's degree and you'll make more. I'm like, a fucking master's degree is two years away. These motherfuckers are telling me that they'll give me $30,000 tomorrow. And um, and so they were like, look, I hear what you're saying, but we want you to get a master's degree. So we're going to pay your tuition and we're going to give you a, a $800 a month stipend. And we're going to make you what's called a graduate assistant. Just fucking stay with us and get a master's degree. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. So I go into the master's program at USM. I get a master's degree. All right. And I make all fucking A's too, by the way. And so, um, and I do all these internships and I'm just, I'm killing it with like this, this program. And I meet this woman and her name is Sophie and she's an amazing woman. And when we meet each other, we were like, look, I said, I said, listen, I'm going to tell you some boundaries that I have in my life. I want the, if I'm going to date you, I need you to know, like, I want kids. That's it. I, I, that's, that's really, that's all I want. I want you to know that and if you don't kids and then, then you probably need to not be with me because I want kids. And, um, and she was like, Oh, I want kids. And I said, okay, well, you know, I'm getting old because I fucked off for a long time. So we're talking like, I need kids. Like we need to be trying for kids in like five years kind of thing. And she was like, deal. Okay. So we're dating, we're dating, we're dating, we're dating. And then I end up graduating uh, with a master's degree, and we move up to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and uh, go birds, by the way. But um, I end up moving up to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and uh, and she we're there for a while, and she tells me uh, she tells on my six year anniversary when I got six years, uh, we were walking around the streets after dinner that night. And she says, "Listen, um, 
she says, I, uh, I'm sorry to tell you this, but I don't want kids. And I, I, I've been putting off telling you, I don't know what to do, but I don't think we should be together. I know you want kids. And so I ended up tell talk between my legs. I call up the social work department and, um, I said, look, uh, me and Sophie broke up and I'm coming back to Mississippi. I said, is there a job available there? And while I was on the phone in Philly, uh, I had a lady say, you're hired. How about, uh, 45,000 a year and get your How soon can you start? And I was like, fuck yeah. So I go down to Mississippi. I go back down to Mississippi and, um, I work for a long, a minute, hot minute. Um, a few years and I'm, I'm working with sexually abused children, adult survivors, of sexual abuse. And I'm fucking really, I'm, but I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm learning like really how to be a good therapist. Right. And so I, uh, I meet my wife and we start kicking it and, um, and she gets pregnant and I, and then I have my uh, good buddy of mine who I was working with in Mississippi. He moved out to Ogden, Utah. And he's working at a treatment center called Brighton Recovery Center in South Ogden. And so he calls me up and I'm in Mississippi. Oh, it, listen to this shit. So I had just bought a house when he starts calling me. I bought a foreclosed home for $40,000. And I'm like working my ass off, meet my future wife, dating her. And, and whenever I had any free time, I'm like YouTubing how to fucking rebuild a house. And I'm like rebuilding a house, Right. And, um, and still super fucking active in recovery. Still, dude, I was a chair. I was a treasurer for my fucking home group for seven years because nobody else wanted to fucking do it. And I mean, and I bought anyway, still super active. And, um, and so, so I'm doing all this shit. My buddy calls me and he's like, Hey, we want you to come out here and work at Brighton. And I'm like, dude, I can't I just bought a house and this woman, uh, can't do it. And he's like, all right, all right. And then he calls me back six months later. Hey, Still, still got a job out here if you want to come. And then me and me and my my uh, girlfriend at the time, wife now, we're starting to get more more and more serious. And um, I propose. She says yes. Yada yada yada. She's pregnant. I propose first. Actually, well, anyway. Uh, but anyway, so uh, so I look at her and I'm like, hey, you want to move out to Ogden? She's got three kids and. Uh, and so we check it with them and they're like, all right, yeah, that's cool. So sell my house, make some money off of it. And then we move out to Ogden. I start working at Brighton Recovery Center as a, um, as a therapist. And, uh, and uh, you know, I was working at IOP. Now I'm working in the, in the monastery, which is the inpatient facility. And dude, every day is a, every day is a blessing. Quite literally. Um, I, I have this, I, I teach these um, very specific, uh, sessions that I created and it's, um, they're called the Charlie groups, but, uh, and it's, it's, it's things that I think every person in early recovery should really know. And, um, and I walked into to my group the other day and I said, I said, listen, this is how you fucking stay sober. I said, if you do these things, I, I call them the four pillars of Charlie. If you do these things consistently, you will stay sober period. I can promise you that you will achieve long-term recovery. Long-term recovery is defined as uh, uh, five years or more. You will achieve that by research standards. And I said, I said, this is all you have to do. And I said, and if you don't, if you are consistently doing these four things and you, for some reason, relapse, I want you to call me up and I want you to go, you're a fucking liar. And then hang up. 
And I realized at this point in time, I'm like screaming at this group of people at the top of my lungs, you're a fucking liar. And I walk out of that session uh, and I think, is there not a greater job in the world? Like what other job can I stand in front of a group of people and scream obscenities all fucking day? And like, that's cool, you know? And, um, but beyond that, beyond that, uh, I mean, I could go on and on about the amount of people in my life that I've, that, I, that I've helped and that I've seen really get this thing. And it all starts from my job. So I, I love my job, dude. I love where I am in life. But, but on top of everything else, I want, you to, I want you to really know this. The most important thing in my life is my family. I have, I have three stepkids that I raise and that I, I fucking love. And, and I have two baby girls. I have a, a, a two and a half year, about to be three year old, August 8th. And, um, and then I have a, a, an 18 month old baby girl, two little baby girls. And they're the world to me, man. I hold them. I tell them how much I love them every single day. I tell them how much they mean to me. I have a wife who's, who's, who is sane and she's mentally healthy and we talk and we communicate and we have great sex and we have a life and we have things. And I have, I'm, I'm now living in my third house that I have bought in my name since I've been in recovery. I have two cars in my garage that I own outright. I have a fucking camper trailer, $20,000 camper trailer sitting in my driveway, all right, that we go camping in. And I want you to know something. This is all coming to a kid who over 11 years ago was homeless, carrying his clothes around in a garbage bag with fucking nothing to his name. So that's my message of hope. It's obtainable for anybody out there. That, and um, thanks for letting me share. Awesome. Yeah, that's a pretty damn good message of hope, I would yeah. say. That's, and, and what a life to have today. You know, mm -hmm. it, it was really cool. Um, I met Charlie at the gym one morning and he approached me because of the Other Side of Hell podcast hat and sober contract shirt that I had on. And we just started chopping it up. And so, you know, wearing this stuff lets people know that that we're out there yeah. you know that you know having having you know recovering out loud mm -hmm. you know which is something that's char that charlie's doing here is recovering out loud and i appreciate that you know because it was a really great story yeah yeah <laughs> it, it it was a really great story and to, and to hear you know how how his upbringing was like he grew up po couldn't even afford couldn't, couldn't even afford the o and the r yeah you know and 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 to see you know the sort of relationship he had with his parents like it wasn't mm -hmm. he was familiar with aa his dad grew was, up in yeah, AA. grew up in aa and uh you know dad was mentally had some mental health issues and and uh and you know and then he he found himself in a place where he was homeless and yeah well, I can identify with that victim state, right? Like, like, so he goes to work, he dies, leaves his fucking garbage bag full of shit, like nothing. Yeah. You know, cause I, I remember how important nothing was to me. Back then, right. right. Yeah. Obviously. That's and my nothing. Yeah. That's, that's my trash bag full of stuff. Right. And then they're like, yeah, we'll get you your trash bag, but you're fired. And you're like, me motherfuckers, <laughs> how dare you? Don't you, don't you realize if how, how hard this is for me? Yeah. Yeah. 
me, 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 my, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and and he had that. Like, like I get that. It was everybody else's fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a victim, and if if you felt like I felt, or you lived like I lived, or you grew up like I grew up, then you would use too. Yeah, and you would understand, and you would give me another chance, and you would give me another chance, and you know, like just I I relate with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I relate with that. Yeah. Oh, there's, there's always that poor me that poor me aspect. Like yeah. you, you don't, you don't know what it's like to be me. Yeah. If you did know, and I always appreciate that sentiment because I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> I, I look at my situation and I think that that, yeah, that's definitely how I felt. Like if yeah. you, if you had to live, if you had to live, like I had to live, you would drink too. And I'm yeah. like, but, but really, if I look at my childhood and my upbringing and my, like the the way that I was raised, it was beautiful, dude. I had nothing to complain about yet. I had that victim mentality. So you don't have to be in any sort of poor circumstances in order to feel that way about your life. Well, there's always somebody that's truly worse off than, than we are, especially as as addicts and victim, victim alcoholics. Right. Right. There's, there's people with real fucking problems. And And you've, and we've seen people with real fucking problems who have a completely different perspective. Yeah. You know, they are not victims Yeah, and they recognize like that they have the ability to make changes Mm -hmm. and and, uh, you know hence charlie like like he he has been into a place now where he recognizes that that wasn't the case yeah yeah. he was the fucking cause of all his own problems and and took that and and is now like helping people in a major way Mm -hmm. you know get helping people get sober Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sometimes for the first time sometimes for the last time yeah but that i mean great place but that that wasn't his intention when he went into treatment. <laughs> no. and, yeah. and, and I really liked, I liked hearing him talk about, you know, these moments. Like this was, this was the first time I saw God doing for me what I couldn't yeah. do for myself, you know, yeah. and, and him specifically pointing those out because he's absolutely right. Like those are definitely all moments, right? Yeah. Like, and, and I like, I like hearing about that stuff. Like I need to hear about that stuff because there's moments like that in my own life that I'll just totally blow by if I'm not in the right place spiritually, you know, sometimes I have to really stop and acknowledge those. But as he did in his story, and I would imagine that he does that every time he tells his story, you know, Yeah. but that wasn't his intention. He wanted to go, he wanted to get his habit down (laughs) to $20 a day. He's managed 20 bucks a day. That's only... It was 140 bucks a, a week. That's it. Yeah. That ain't bad. <laughs> but isn't it funny that like, that's, that's we're, we, we're convinced it's totally doable. Well, that, well, I mean, and that's always our thinking. Like we always just like want to, it, it's, it's, it's always, we want to hold on to some sort of shred yeah. of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, no, I just want to be able to have beer after a steak. Yeah. No, I just want to be able to, you know, like, no, I just want to be able, I just want, I just really, yeah. What's wrong with a beer at a game? Yeah, exactly. You know, there's, there's always have a shot with a friend after work. Something. Yeah. There's something just, we always want to hold on to. And I just want to smoke weed on Christmas. <laughs> it's a Christmas thing. And it's the insanity. You know? Yeah. That's it. And, and knowing that that's not going to work for us because mm-hmm. we suffer from a spiritual malady. That, that, you know, manifests itself in a, a physical, mental, and spiritual way. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Obsession, compulsion. The obsession is, I can do this on $20 a day. 
the compulsion is I died at work. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like that's kind of the extremes yeah. of it. And, and so all that stuff I can relate with. And I appreciate you bringing it up because we kicked around a couple different ideas. And one of them was, you know, God doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And I think we'll, we'll use that on another episode. For sure. Because it's such a big thing. If, if there, there's any evidence that he was supposed to be a counselor, it's in his story, right? Yeah. Like, like, look at everything. Everything was like, pointing him that like, way. I think he would have had to try to not be a counselor yeah, at that yeah. point. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the lady, like, after fucking, like, robbing the government for money. However many. Yeah. You know, for who knows, he said 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. However much money that is. And then that lady, which is another part of my story, is people... Uh, helping us for, for whatever reason. Like, I don't know why yeah. I'm helping you. That's how I got in the career that I'm in. You yeah. Know, somebody gave me a chance. Like, I don't fuck. I don't know why I'm doing this. Something about but you. There's something about you that I'll just give you a shot. And, and then he's, it's like he said, you know, we become these super driven, you know, mm. enthusiastic, top notch employees and students and, you know, we just go, go, go the, the service and we become the best at these things because we're, we're, we're driven. Yeah. You know, we were driven to stay high. And when we can change that energy, like you said, and become driven to stay sober, be driven to be successful, be driven to be of service. There's no stopping us. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, 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 I've seen that in my own life. I've seen that in the people around me and I, I'm always really, I guess I'm not surprised, but I'm always just, there's something completely heartwarming when I hear of where some people came from and then where they ended up. Yeah. And it's just like, oh my God, like that's so awesome. Yeah. You know, and I need that. And that's why we share these stories on here, right? It's like we, we need for people who are still struggling or, or who might be in early sobriety or even down the road a ways. Like it's a good reminder for me to remember like, Oh yeah, there is hope, mm-hmm. you know, like this is what happens when I do the best I can. Yeah. And this is what happens when I show up every day. Yeah. And this is what happens when I practice forgiving myself. Yeah. You know, so it was just, it was so great. And, and, uh, I just can't thank you yeah, enough, thanks, man, dude. for your story. So Charlie, thank you. Definitely I, has a life that I wouldn't mind living. You know, that's he has everything that I wanted. Yeah. The wife, the kids, the house, the car, the stability, the recovery, the spirituality, the service, Mm -hmm. all the things. And they're all gifts of recovery, as he said. Gifts of recovery. So beautiful. Straight up. Yeah. Well, word. Yeah. Yeah. All that. There you go. Good episode, man. I really felt good during this. It was nice to talk about. So thanks, Cameron. Thank you. I forgive you for everything that you've ever done. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I forgive you for the awesome birthday present you got me. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that was a while ago, but I'm glad you remember it. (laughs) I appreciate it, and I appreciate you, Rylan. I appreciate you, Jordan. Jordan, for sure. I appreciate Mitch, even though he's not here. Yeah. And uh, let's do this again. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You down? I'm down. Cool. Well, with that, you guys, remember that you are worth the work. We'll see you on the other side. The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.